in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the only true and living God. Amen. Herod's temple was a great structure. Its history was impressive. The property itself was storied. There was Mount Moriah. Abraham and Isaac, remember? The wood, the dagger, the ram in the thicket. Moses and Solomon's temple dedicated in 960 B.C. Destruction in 586 B.C. Rebuilding in 522. Restoration by Herod that continued to the very day that Jesus was born and for some years past. It was a great building. Great stones hewn and moved in ways that we can't imagine without the use of power equipment like we have today. So it should come as no surprise to us that the disciples were in awe of their surroundings as they stood next to the temple in Jerusalem and as they viewed the great building from the Mount of Olives. In our gospel text today, the fleshly temple that is our Lord Jesus had come to the stone temple built by human hands. The stone temple had been corrupted and desecrated by worship of false gods. A pig had been offered to Zeus on its altar. Many acts of desecration had occurred within its walls. The word of God had been ignored and cursed. God, the Holy Spirit, had deserted the temple many years before. But now, God the Son walked through its gates. The men who ran the temple claimed authority for themselves and made their own laws to govern not only the temple, but the people of Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. The Antichrist, who was none other than the high priest, claimed authority over the word of God and God's people. He allowed the temple to become an emporium, a marketplace, a den of thieves, where the temple leaders made money off of the sacrifices of the people. A preview of the selling of indulgences, if you will. One call does it all. Buy your sacrifices from us, they said, and your sins will be forgiven. But the disciples' secular roots, the disciples' secular roots aggravated the God-man, Jesus Christ, like sore thumbs banging against stone walls. Everything they said, it seems, ran contrary to what he stood for, to what he had come to accomplish. They liked to share human achievements. The disciples did. So do we. They liked to commemorate great events in history. So do we. They liked to celebrate anniversaries in their churches. So do we. These things can be done in God-pleasing fashion only when God is given all the glory. As, we, as I spoke earlier in the children's sermon, 
All our gifts and even all of our successes are gifts from God. Without God, dear ones, we could do nothing. So when Jesus said the temple would be destroyed stone by stone, the disciples were shocked. They wanted signs to show them when destruction would come. Their questions contained implied knowledge that there would be a future shift in the lives of God's people. The Levitical covenant, the covenant of Moses, would be destroyed along with the temple. Christ announced the coming of judgment. It would be in just a few years. And sure enough, in 70 A.D., roughly 40 years after this occurrence, the temple was destroyed. Christ announced the coming judgment, but he did not give hope of restoration of glory to Israel, Jerusalem, and the temple. Today, we too have questions about the mysteries of the future. God deals in mystery when he deals with man, but Jesus does give us some hints as to how things will be before the end. There will be false prophets giving answers that people want to hear. The Jews had many false messiahs before and during the time of Jesus, according to the Jewish historian Josephus. The most serious deception occurs, as it does today, when false prophets lead people astray. In the name of Jesus, as do the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What a terrible deception. What a terrible deception. Also, both man and creation would have birth pains, according to Jesus, of the new creation. Their birth pains are sign of signs of the end. There would be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation. And there would be preliminary events like earthquakes and famines. Toward the end, dear ones, there will be great persecution of Christians. And in fact, the 20th century, the century ended 18 years ago, saw more Christians killed for their faith than the previous 19 centuries combined since the birth of Christ. Mass persecution, maybe. But Jesus tells us that personal persecution will be most painful within families where brother against brother, sister against sister, parents against their children will cause conflict and even death in some cases. General hatred against Christians will be such that only an enduring faith in his promises will lay hold of salvation. Our vision of a great building and the purposes of God, our questions and his answers meet in his predictions, which are still being fulfilled in our day. War, political convulsions, upheavals in nature. These are continuing signs of the end and of the second coming of our Lord 
for our salvation. The destruction of the temple was the first great sign in 70 AD. Sufferings will continue until the gospel has been preached to all nations and then the end will come. He who endures to the end will be saved. The temples of Jerusalem, both Solomon's and Zerubbabel's, Herod's, have been torn down. They will never be raised again. But our Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead and is our new and eternal temple. Our new Jesus temple does not wait for us to come to him three or four times a year. He comes to us. And he comes to us often. He says, do this often, you know. Even daily, he comes to us. To be present with us in word and baptism and the Lord's Supper. And he says, repent. And he says, believe. Confess your sins and believe that you are forgiven because of what Jesus the Christ, the God-man, has done for you. He who endures to the end, he who endures to the end will be saved. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.